promise is, uh, the promise is uh, help. And we all need some help. And so uh, God promised, Jesus promised that he would send us a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I open this series by telling you that the Holy Spirit has something that has become uh, maybe a, a, a controversial among different churches and different denominations. Uh, 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 it's a tragedy because it really shouldn't be. I shared with you when we opened that, you know, the Holy Spirit was sent to us to, to be a form of help that would unify us together as the body of Christ. Uh, but in some ways, people, uh, you know, we all have different opinions and different views. It's why we have so many different uh, denominations and kind of churches. But uh, uh, people have different ideas about the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, it's created some division, I believe, among the body of Christ. Uh, and uh, I shared with you that we have a very diverse congregation here. I know there's a lot of backgrounds come from a lot of different places and, and areas. And so uh, I love that, number one, because it creates situations where we can learn from one another. Uh, and we can have educated discussions about things of Scripture. Uh, but what I challenge you to do in this series when we began is to set all that aside going into this. Any ideas that you had about the Holy Spirit, what you thought the Holy Spirit was. And I said, hey, let's just wipe the slate clean and let's just go to God's Word and see what God would have to say to us right now during this time in our life for this time in our church what God wants to say to us today about the Holy Spirit. And so I asked you to do that, and I believe today's message could be a difference maker in some of your spiritual lives between having just kind of a mundane relationship with God, an average spiritual life, and just kind of going through the motions of doing what you think you got to do, to a life that I believe God would have for us that is filled with joy, overflowing with joy, overflowing with power, overflowing with this help that he has promised us. He has promised us his presence to help you in your life and in your family and in our church. And, and not only that, but along with that comes joy. And I don't know anybody in this room today that probably wouldn't like to have a little more joy because we're in the state of Arkansas and we're getting none from our football team, all right? And so we're going to talk about joy this morning because we could all use a little joy. And uh, so uh, let's dig into our text today. Let's see what kind of help that we've been promised and what we can learn from this and what God has for us today. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 18. Paul says this, starting off, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what we'll learn today from what the Apostle Paul uh, is teaching us about the promise of the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus Christ. This passage today is going to answer three questions for us today as we look at this. Number one, what is it? What is the feeling uh, of the Holy Spirit? Number two, when does it happen? When do we receive the feeling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism 
of the Holy Spirit. And number three, how does that happen? How does the filling of the Holy Spirit happen in our lives? So first question, number one is this. What is the filling of the Spirit? We need to understand that because Paul says here, you know, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So what is the filling of the Spirit? And what does that look like in our lives? Well, the word that's translated filled here in this passage of Scripture literally means permeated or saturated, okay? It's the same word that we find used over in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 28, that's talked about the, the religious leaders when they were filled with rage at Jesus' teaching. All right, they were controlled by rage. They were filled up by rage. It's this idea of being consumed with something, right? Any of you ever been so angry that it consumed your entire being and you could just feel it taking control over your body, right? That's what this is talking about here. Some of, the, some of you might could better relate to this. For those of you that are perfect and never get mad, uh, you could might maybe relate this to pain uh, that you've experienced uh, before in your life. You've been in extreme pain. Sometimes that can be debilitating, right? It can take over control of your body. It can shut your entire body down. For, for you ladies, some of you, this might draw your mind back to, to, to childbirth. They say it's one of the most painful experiences uh, that you can actually go through. Uh, some of you might have experienced some of them, something like this with a kidney stone. I've seen people that were just rendered useless uh, when they had a kidney stone. They couldn't function. They couldn't move. I've seen People affected this way with migraine headaches get a severe migraine headache and it basically just shuts your entire body down and you can't do anything until you are relieved uh, of that pain. And, and it was a pain so intense that it felt like it had actually taken control of your body. I shared in early service today, I always knew when I had a broken bone. I used to, bra I used to brag on the fact that I had broken every bone in my body except my neck and I was kind of looking forward to that one. Now I don't boast about it so much because because every one of those broken, broken bones uh, in your 50s now hurts again. And, and so, but the way I always knew that I had a broken bone, there was never any question about it. I would get sick in my stomach and I would almost pass out. And so when I experienced that, there was, there, there was, even, there was no need for an x-ray. I mean, I just knew that something was broken. I'll, I'll never forget, I was young, I think it's about 14 years old. Dad took me to a rodeo. Uh, Mom was not happy at all about it. She's here this morning, but uh, she wasn't happy about it. Dad took me to a rodeo, and I got on this bull, and I, I knew, you know, pretty quickly that my arm was broke, had a wreck. It was horrible. Um, but anyway, I get home, and Dad's like, no, he, he knows if this kid has a broken bone and I take him home to his mother, we're all going to be in massive trouble, right? Dad said, oh, it's not broke, you know, you just, you just probably sprained, it's probably just strained or whatever like that, and I'm like, you know, no, it's broke, you know, and so we, we get home about 12, 1230 in the morning, I don't know, and we walk in, Mom gets up to come see how, the, you know, how'd it go, and I'm like, well, I broke my arm, Dad won't take me to the hospital, <laughs> And she said, how do you know it's broke? And I hold it up, and it's got like a V in it, you know? 
And so, yeah, he was in a lot of trouble. But, uh, you know, you, you just know, you know, extreme pain can affect so many different things uh, about your body. Uh, and Paul gives us another comparison here, though, to work with this morning uh, about being drunk on wine. And, and I hope you don't know this morning what it's like to be drunk on wine. Uh, or, or filled with it, although I know some of you, and so I know that you do. Uh, but, but think about it. When, when you're drunk, what happens? I, I mean, someone told me this. I don't know this from personal experience, but, but the alcohol consumes you, right? Uh, and it, flow, it, it consumes all of your body, not just parts of it. It affects every part of you. It affects your mind. You don't think like you used to think when you are consumed with alcohol. You know, it affects your reflexes. You act different. You respond different. It, it affects your eyes. Your entire being, your entire body is affected by the alcohol that you have consumed. Even if they draw your blood, they don't have to draw it from your stomach. They can draw your blood from any part of your body, and they will find alcohol in your blood because it has flowed to every part uh, of your body. And, and so I want to give you another example. For those of you that were never, never heathens and got drunk, you can probably relate better to this illustration. How many of you like chocolate milk? All the people that don't drink right here, all right, like chocolate milk. <laughs> but where does chocolate milk come from? Brown cows, right? I mean, we all know that. But seriously, how do you make chocolate milk? Well, you take regular whole white milk. You 2% are skim people. Whole milk in heaven. God created it whole. I'm going to drink it whole. Uh, but you take that, that white milk and you put some chocolate in it, and then you begin to stir it up, and what happens? Well, it spreads throughout all the milk, right? I mean, it turns all of the milk into chocolate milk, and every sip that you take tastes like chocolate and has chocolate in it. And, and so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, to be permeated with the Spirit, to be saturated with the Spirit? Well, it, it's when the Spirit takes up full residence into your heart and, and into your life. You are saturated. Scripture talks about us being alive through the, the Spirit that's within us, uh, and, and it's, it goes all throughout our entire being. It affects everything about us when we are filled with the Spirit. And Paul contrasts this filling of the Spirit here to being drunk with wine. I believe on purpose because there are some similarities between the two. First, alcohol affects your thinking, does it not? Alcohol affects your thinking. Let me tell you something. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that will affect your thinking as well. All right? When, when, you're, when you're filled with alcohol, that affects the way that you respond to people and the way that you talk to people. Let me tell you something. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that will affect the way you talk to people and how you respond to people. It changes uh, you. I've been around some drunk people in my life, and they say things that they never would have said if they were sober. I've had some people say some, some things to me that, you know, I couldn't believe they said, but I knew the reason they said it is because they were drunk and they were under the control of alcohol. But think about it. If you're consumed with the Spirit of God, you will say things that you would have never said before if you weren't under the control of the Holy Spirit. 
When we studied the book of Acts this summer, we saw this time and time and time again. We saw where they were filled with the Spirit. And what happened when they were filled with the Spirit? They did things that they would have never done before, right? They were filled with a boldness that they had never had before. We, we saw Peter, who had previously denied knowing Jesus three different times within an hour, right? He, he's so wishy-washy, he won't even claim that he even knows who Jesus is, Three different times he denies him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens? He boldly preaches in front of hundreds and thousands of people. Right? Proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. The death, the burial, the resurrection. He preached with a boldness. We saw it in Acts chapter 2. We saw it in Acts chapter 4. We studied about Stephen over in Acts chapter 7. He did what he did because he was filled with the Spirit. And he had a great boldness. And it cost him his life. We saw the, the, the same. Acts 14 verse 13 tells us that as the people saw what they did and saw this boldness that they had and what they said and how they acted, they, they, they were astonished by it, Scripture says. They were astonished by this boldness because they looked at these people and they go, we know these people and they're just normal people. They're uneducated people, right? And now look at what it, you know, is coming out of them. Look at what they are doing because now they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you today, has anybody ever looked at you and been astonished at the things that you do? <laughs> Maybe if you were under the influence of alcohol, right? But let me tell you something. If you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, people will be astonished at your boldness. They will be astonished at the things that you say because they know it's not you. They know it's not you that does these things and says these things. And so the question is today, has it ever been said about you that people were astonished by how bold you were for Jesus Christ? Because sadly, here's what I believe today. A lot of people uh, in churches all across America today thinks that the only person that needs to be filled with the Spirit is the one standing on the platform. And, and, but, but think about what it would look like if everyone who heard sermons every single week, whether it's in a church, on a TV, on a radio, or on a podcast, if those people would understand that they are spirit-filled and they went out and lived a life in the power of the Holy Spirit, can you imagine what this city would look like? Can you imagine what our community would look like or what even what our church would look like? Has anyone ever been astonished by your boldness because you are so filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? And I'm going to preach here in just a minute, just so you know. But, but I want to share with you Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, a, a great scholar, said one time that if, if we could just spend 30 seconds in hell, 30 seconds... And come back to this earth. We would be the most bold evangelist that ever walked on the face of the earth. And we would be living. We would be craving the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us if we knew truly what hell was going to be like and that people are going there. All right? So, so don't miss this. When we are filled with the Spirit, we will be so intoxicated. We will be so consumed that we will say things and we will do things for God that we would have never, ever done before. Is this a picture of your life? Is this a picture of what your life looks like and what people would say uh, about you? So what is the filling of the Spirit? Well, it's being filled with and, and under the control of and consumed with the knowledge and the goodness and the presence of God 
and his help. That's what it is. Second question is this. When are we filled with it? When are we filled with the Spirit? And again, the original Greek, if you go back to, and, and I don't know Greek. I just read stuff for uh, people that do know Greek. But the, the word filled here, I go back to this word filled here again because it doesn't just mean uh, a one-time occurrence. In the original Greek, it literally means to be filled continually. Right? Which means this. It happens over and over and over again. And, and, and this is where there's a lot of confusion, I believe, and sometimes disagreements about the Holy Spirit and when we receive it. Uh, uh, and so I just want to try to clarify it this morning so there's no confusion about what this means and when we receive the Holy Spirit. When are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Or some might say, when are we baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. This happens when you are saved. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, When you believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, this promised Holy Spirit. So when did this happen? When did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed. When you believed it. So if you're saved, don't miss this, you have the Holy Spirit. Because we learned in week one that we could not be saved without the Holy Spirit helping us to have faith in Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit that allowed us to believe. That helped us to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Paul also said this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. He said that anyone that does not have the Spirit of Christ is not his child. Okay, so if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not His. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. And if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit, period. And, and so we don't need to pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. We don't need to pray for the baptism of the Spirit and wonder if we have it or if we don't have it. And so, you know, I believe the question for many Christians today is not, do you have the Holy Spirit? The question for us today is, does the Holy Spirit have you? <laughs> because if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit have you? Is He filling you? Is He in control of your life? How much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Because if you're a believer, you have Him. And when He has you, then He can continually and empower you for his redemptive mission and the work that he wants to do in this world. And, and I think that we can use the analogy here, and, and I may confuse you more. I don't know if this will help or not. But I, I feel like we can almost use the analogy of electricity here to, to better understand this. Whenever you need to plug something in your house, you know, a curling iron, I, I use it every day, um, you know, a hair, uh, hair dryer, phone, or whatever. Whenever we need electricity and we need something to be powered, Think about what we do. We just plug it in, right? We plug it in and it's there. We don't have to call the electric company every time we want to plug something in and say, hey, you know, I need you to turn my electricity on again so I can blow dry my hair. No, that's not how it works. The electricity is already present. The electricity is already in the wiring. It's in the receptacles. It's available to us to be used. All we have to do is plug in to access the power. To access the electricity. So we need to stop asking God to give us something that we already have access to. Right? And, and so the power is readily available. We just have to plug ourselves into it, this source of power, and allow it 
to fill us and allow it to give us the power uh, that we need. We receive the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus Christ and then we continually have access to it to be filled and to be empowered again and again and again and again. It's kind of like your car. It don't run on one tank forever, right? We got to refill it and refill the tank in the Holy Spirit. That's what this is talking about here, being filled. It's a refilling that happens over and over and over again. And we're going to be looking at that more in depth over the next few weeks. Uh, but that brings us to the third question today, and it's this. How are we filled with the Spirit? And this is kind of interesting. I, I want to look again at what Paul says here, verse 18. He says, instead be filled with the Spirit. And there's not a period there, there's a comma. It says, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Singing, making music, giving thanks. Is that the result of being filled or is that the cause of it? Yes. Both. Both. That, that, that's, you know, it, it doesn't mean, what Paul's not saying here is this, hey, tomorrow when you go to work or tomorrow when you go to school and you go up to your friends or you go up to your coworkers, he's not saying, you know, go up to them in the break room in the morning, oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. You know, he's not saying that. It, they probably fire you. <clears throat> this is talking about the things that, that you dwell on, Okay? The things that you dwell on, the things that you are consumed with, the things that your mind is, is filled with, the singing, the, the music, the giving thanks, these are just, think about it, these are just natural byproducts of joy, <laughs> all right? They're just the natural byproducts of the joy that you have when you're focusing your life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you're considering the grace that has been extended to you. And as you fill your life with the things of God, you will be filled continually with the things of the Spirit. And you will feel more alive than you have ever felt. You will be filled with joy. When you're alive and filled with the Spirit of God, you'll live your life on the basis of what God's grace has done in your life. All right, and when we, when we understand fully what grace is and what it has done in our lives, right? We, we've been doing a study out of Romans on Wednesday nights. Paul says, without a shadow of a doubt, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You are guilty. We are wicked people without the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, right? The fact that you were wicked and he was forgiving, forgiving listen, that should fill you with joy. That should fill you with gratitude. You know, that should change your attitude. Right? That, I'm not even trying to rhyme. It's just the spirit, I guess. Poet didn't know it. But see? But when you focus on what God has done for you and the grace that has been extended to you and how wicked you were and that he forgave you anyway... Right? It'll change the things you do. It'll change the things you say. It'll change the way you respond. You won't live your life under the premise 
You will no longer live your life under... When you understand how awesome He is, you'll quit focusing on the fact of how awesome you are. Because when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're filled with this understanding of our good God and His grace and what He's done for us, it will never be about what we've done because we couldn't do anything to earn it. And He freely gave it. And and I'll just tell you today, a lot of people are full of themselves. They're full of themselves. Their life is all about what? Well, it's all about their gain. It's all about what they can achieve, what they can do, what they can accumulate. See, a lot of people today are living their lives about building their kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. When you're full of yourself, you're not full of the Spirit. And don't miss this, you can't be filled with both. And so real quickly this morning as as we wrap up, I I want to look at what we should not do if we want to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul didn't actually uh, address this here, but I, I want to jump over to a very short verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Five simple words. I believe this is enemy number one. Do not quench this Spirit. All right? Do not quench it. So what does quench mean? Well, it means not to put out. Okay? It's kind of like putting out a fire that keeps it from spreading. A fire's naturally natural tendency is to spread, right? And so don't quench that. Don't put that out. So, so what might this look like in our lives, this quenching of the Spirit or resisting uh, of the Spirit? What does that look like? Well, we do that basically by saying no to God. That's how we quench the Spirit is by saying no to God. And some of you are sitting here thinking this morning, well, I would never say no to God. I mean, who would do that? None of us are crazy enough to think that we would ever say no to God, but I want you to be careful before we get so full of ourselves that we would think that. And let me give you a few examples of what quenching the Spirit might just look like. Let's say that you get into an argument with someone, and you get really angry, and you say some things that were very hurtful, and some things that you shouldn't have said, and later on, you cool off and you begin to think about those things that you said, and the Spirit begins to convict you that you probably shouldn't have said that, and you probably shouldn't have went there. And you begin to think that you probably should apologize for what you said. But the more you think about it, the more you justify your actions because the person was actually wrong, and they probably really needed to hear what you had to say anyway. And so you justified it, And never followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to apologize and to extend forgiveness as you've been extended forgiveness. See, that's the quenching of the Holy Spirit. That's saying no to Him. Okay? Maybe God speaks to you in a sermon. You hear a really awesome sermon somewhere else. (laughs) On TV or on the radio or podcast or however you listen to awesome sermons. And God speaks to you about something in your life. Maybe He speaks to you about being generous. And you really feel convicted about being generous. And you're like, you know what? I need to, I need to think about that a little more. I need to go home and I need to look at my finances. See where I'm at and see how my budget looks. And see you know, how much I might could give or, or do a little more and be generous. 
But as time passes, it just kind of slips your mind. You never really do it. You never really act on it. See, that's, that's the quenching of the Holy Spirit. That's saying no to something that God has said to you, that has spoken to you. Maybe you heard, I'm, I'm really going to hit a nerve right here. Maybe you heard us ask for volunteers for some area of ministry in the church. You know, we, we can't do what we do here without people doing what they do. And so you've heard us ask for volunteers in the church, and you're like, you know what? I'll pray about that. <laughs> and can I just say that one of the most common ways of quenching the Spirit is with that response right there. Let me pray about it. Because that's really often just a nice way of saying, no, <laughs> I'm not interested. We never really go and pray about it, and then we never really even come back and do what God has convicted us to do. It's quenching the Spirit. That's saying no to God and responding to God uh, in that way. Uh, another way, and, and this is a whole different sermon, and I could be here for a long time, uh, but I won't. But I, I just want to say another way that we quench the Spirit is by entertaining sin in our life. By entertaining. When we are walking in the Spirit, we won't entertain sin in our lives. And we won't allow sin to entertain us. We'll walk away from it. We'll avoid it. And when we don't, what are we doing? We're quenching the Holy Spirit. We're quenching the Spirit in our life. One preacher said it like this. I, I, I love this. He said, you better be killing the sin in your life or it will be killing you. See, sin will take you down a path you really don't want to travel and take you further than you ever wanted to go. So we better take care of the sin in our life or it will take care of us. And there are a lot of ways that we can quench the Spirit. But basically it's this. It's anything that puts out the fire that God started in your heart. It's anything that quenches that, that puts out that fire. And some of you here today know good and well that's exactly what has happened in your life. You know that has happened in your life. You know you've done that. You're sitting there thinking right now, I know I've done this. I'm guilty of this. Right? Some of you are probably even thinking that you've done some things that are so bad that there's probably no chance for that fire to ever be lit in you again. You know that you've been full of yourself instead of full of the Spirit. Right? And, and you've, been, you've been more filled with your interests than the interest of God and bringing glory to Him. And, and you're ashamed of yourself because you probably have a pretty good idea that God's ashamed of you. Well, I have some great news for you today. <laughs> and I want to take you to a guy that we all know in the Bible, and his name is David, who committed about as bad a sin as you could commit. He slept with his best friend's wife, and then he had his best friend murdered. That's bad in anybody's book, okay? That's bad. And we see in the book of Psalm 51, verse 11, David says this. After going through this, this is like a year. A year he's been, you know, hiding this, sitting on this, and thinking about it. And he says this. He says, Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. And, and I want you to think about it. How could anyone that's in a situation like David is in, 
not feel like the Spirit had departed them and that God was ashamed and had given up and maybe even left, right? When you've committed this kind of sin and done the things that David has done and that he's guilty of. But do you know what David understood? Let's skip over to the New Testament. Jump forward to Jesus on the cross. And Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And don't miss this. Here's what's taking place while Jesus hangs on that cross. The Spirit of God was taken from Jesus. All right? The Spirit of God was removed from Jesus at that time. And all of the consequences and all of the grief of your sin was put onto him and put into him. And he was crucified with it right then and there. And because of that, don't miss this. Because of that, David can pray and you can pray. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me. Right? And maybe you're here today and you know that you've been full of yourself and you've been living your life for your own good instead of being filled with Him and living your life for His purposes and His glory and His good. Listen, don't miss this. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. All right? He was wounded for your transgressions. Your punishment was put upon him. But don't miss this. By his stripes, you are healed. (laughs) By his stripes, you are healed. You don't deserve God's Spirit. I don't deserve God's Spirit. But what did Jesus do? He gave it up. He gave it up for us so that we could have the Spirit in His place. He he took our place so that we could have the blessing of the filling of the Spirit that He bought and paid for and purchased for you and for me. And the spirit that he purchased for you, can I just tell you, is the same spirit that raised him from the dead, right? It's the same spirit that we see at work all throughout the book of Acts and in the movement that we saw that began as the church. And the spirit that he purchased for you flows inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You received it right then when you believed. You have the power It is available to you, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus did, and he sacrificed himself for you so that you would have it. And I'll close with this before we go uh, to a time of prayer this morning. Every song that we've sang this morning has has talked about this statement, but I want to share with you a statement that came from the leaders uh, of what was called the Azusa Street Revival. Happened back in the early 1900s. It was a great movement of the Holy Spirit. It was basically where the charismatic uh, movement began, and they said this, and I love this, the solutions to the problems of the church today is to solve the individual Christian's problems, and the solution to your problems is in a person, the Holy Spirit. He is the antidote for every error that you've ever made. 
He is the power for every weakness that you have. He is the victory for every defeat. And he is the answer for every need that we have. All right? I love this. And he is available to every believer for he lives in his heart and he lives in his life. The answer and the power have already been given to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I might add, take it. Rest in it. Be powered by it. Be filled with joy because of it. And use it for the purposes that God gave us to use it. Which is redemption and healing. And some of you need that in your life. And some of you need that in your families. We need it in our world today. And it flows within us. It's available to us. And so as we close this morning with a time of prayer, I'm here to tell you today, this is the promise. This is the promise that was made to you and to me and every follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning, we're going to close with our prayer time that we have. This morning, maybe God's speaking to your heart and you just want to come and pray. Maybe you need to come and pray about something that you need the Holy Spirit's help with in your life. The help has always been there and you've just never really plugged into it and tapped what you need. And today, He's saying, I promised you, I will help. Here's the help that you need. If you, if you need to come and ask for that help today, come on. These altars are open. We're going to all pray together here in just a few minutes. Maybe you need to come and pray about something that you need the Holy Spirit's help with uh, in your family today. Maybe a decision that you need to make or something that you're going through. And you just want to come and pray for more of the Holy Spirit's help. Maybe you want to come today, this morning, and pray this prayer that David prayed. Restore to me the joy of your salvation restore to me the joy that I lost somewhere along the way restore that and grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me maybe today you've realized that you've been more full of yourself and your plan, then you have the Spirit of God and His plan. And you just like to come this morning, commit yourself to this altar. Maybe you realize that you've done things and you've quenched the Holy Spirit today. You would just like to come and, and respond to what God's speaking into your life today. I invite some of you to come and pray over this prayer chest this morning. Praying that the Spirit of God continues to draw. There's a lot of names written in that prayer chest. And we pray over it continually. But maybe we just pray today that the Spirit of God would continue to draw. Draw these people to Him and save those whose names have been placed there. I invite anyone to come this morning that would like to come and just pray.
and respond and plug into this source of power that's available to you right now. Let's all join our hearts together as we pray. You're a good, good father. Those of us that are parents know that sometimes as a mother or father, we know what our kids need before they even know they need it. That's exactly who you are and that's exactly what you've done. You knew that in our own power, our own strength, our own wisdom, that we could never accomplish what you asked us to accomplish in this world. You knew we couldn't do it. But you knew we could do it if we had your help. And so you promised us help. You promised to send us a helper. And today, everyone that has placed their faith in you and is a follower of Jesus Christ and has surrendered their life to you has this help available to them. We received it when we believed. And so I pray today that This, this message was all over the map and I get that today and I understand that you probably spoke to every person in a different way about something totally different but God your Holy Spirit spoke to us about something today and so I pray today that you would find us obedient to what it is that you spoke in our lives this reminder today that you've promised us this help you've promised us this power and through that we can have joy in our lives. Joy doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy, but joy means that we can celebrate the fact of what you did for us on the cross of Calvary. And God, I pray for these that are gathered around this altar today. I know a lot of situations that are going on in our church right now where people are battling cancer, they're battling sickness, they're battling all kinds of things in their lives. Maybe not physical, maybe battling uh, for their family today, maybe battling for their marriage today. God, the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. And today, some of us just needed to be reminded of that and understand that. Our hope lies in you. Our hope doesn't lie in anything else that this world has to offer. So, God, I pray for the needs that are represented here this morning. I pray that you would be recognized in every one of their situations because you are at work. And so I pray that people would see you. People would be drawn to you because they see what you're doing in these situations and in these people's lives. God, we continue to pray for our church. We don't want to grow so that the church of the Nazarene would be known. We want to grow so that you would be known. So that there would be more workers in the field. We want you to, to, to be the one that leads us. You to be the one that guides us. Not that we would do things that the world would look at us and say, look how awesome they are. But they would look at us and say, look how that pitiful group of people is being used by the power of God. And they would see you in us. We're available. I pray that you'd find us faithful to the call to be the body of Christ and be the church that you've called us to, to go in. 
as we go out from this building, this, this building is just a place where we gather and worship, and it's awesome, and it's easy in here. We walk out of here, it's where the rubber hits the road. And there's a whole world out there that needs to see Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would see it in our boldness, see it in the way we live our lives, see it in the way we respond, see it in the way that we act. That they would see you and be drawn to you so that they would come to a a relationship with you. That's what it's all about. That's what every bit of it is about. It's building your kingdom. So God, we're available. We want to be used. You've provided us the help. And we claim the victory. And it's in the powerful and strong name of Jesus Christ that we ask these things today. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. I hope you have a a great week. Be bold for Christ this week. shadows oh you never left my side never left my side no and I still